Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. This week, Brandon is gone. He's missing. We miss him. But the show must go on, so Paxton and I will carry that burden. Paxton, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, Okay, so in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about specific types of marketing. And I I think this is going to be an interesting episode because I think Paxton and I uh, differ in opinion on the direction that this topic is going to go, which usually makes for a pretty good episode. Uh, Let's get started. Okay, so I'm going to start this episode off with a with a story. Now there was a book, Paxton. It was written and published in 1818. It was 1818. Written, All right. So this is a long time ago. Bringing uh, you the latest in digital marketing. <laughs> that's 1818. Right. That's right. So uh, in 1818, this book was published, and it's about a guy named Victor. And Victor, he's uh, in fact the story starts out with uh, a, a sea captain who was a failed writer and decided to explore the North Pole. So he gets on a ship with his men, and he goes and explores the North Pole. While he's up there and in the water, he sees on the shore a, an extremely large, huge humanoid being that uh, was being pulled by a, by a dog sled. Mm-hmm. And he thought it was weird, but he kept going. And later he found a sickly, almost dead man named Victor who uh, who was chasing the first guy they had seen. And that's how the story starts. Now, the entire book is about Victor telling his story to the sea captain as a warning because he noticed that the sea captain had this a similar ambition that he had that got him into the turmoil that he found himself in. Which is to find this giant person being pulled on a sled. Say that again. It, which is to find this giant oh. person being pulled yeah, on the yeah. sled. So that's, so that's like, that's, that's, pr- well, no, 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 that his ambition led to that point, Okay. but his ambition in, in uh, this is, this is actually a very well-known story. I've never heard of this. So uh, well, I'm, no, I'm, no, no, no you, you haven't heard this part of the story, but you okay. have heard of the story. Okay. And, and I'll get into that in a second, but Victor, he, uh, he finds the sea captain and sees that his ambition is likely going to lead him down the same path that Victor got and his life was miserable and uh, shattered, and I mean, he was stuck in the North Pole, mm-hmm. almost dead. Yeah. So the whole book is Victor telling the sea captain about his life and and as a warning. So hey, sea captain. In fact, I could probably pull up his name. Not that that matters. So um, then the story starts, and it starts out with him telling a story about how he was born in Naples, Italy, and and he was raised by two parents who emphasized the importance of science. And uh, specifically chemistry. And so this, this boy, Victor, uh, he, uh, since the age of five uh, on, he dedicated his life to chemistry and the study of uh, science. And in particular, he had a very inter- uh, a high interest in the human body and decay and life and things like that. Well, uh, it got to the point where he started doing experiments. And Victor decided that he was going to create life. He needed to figure out how to create life. So through chemistry and some alchemy, as it says in the book, he went through some unorthodox experiments 
and ended up creating life. Now, this is the part that starts to relate back into the topic. Victor was very, uh, he had very good intentions. He wanted to create something beautiful and lasting and contribute to the world in a way that would change and alter human history forever. And what happened was his creation was hideous. In fact, this is probably the part where I should get to the punchline and tell you that Victor's last name mm, was Frankenstein. Frankenstein. So Victor originally wanted to create something beautiful, and he ended up creating something hideous and eventually became its own being that he could not control, and he lost control of his own creation, which ended up in the story, and this is uh, like everything I've mentioned is in the original book that you never hear about, right? The whole North Pole and all this stuff. Right. But Frankenstein's monster... Originally, was uh, he he was smart. He could talk, and uh, he wasn't green, but he was kind of a yellowish, and his skin was see through, and uh, and he had feelings. And uh, anyway, we don't need to really get into it. But he went on to murder Victor's brother, and then his wife, and threatened him, and uh, and it was just this big disaster. And Victor was faced with the moral decisions of one: Do I create? Uh, Frankenstein's bride because he's lonely mm -hmm. or would that allow them to procreate and make like hordes of nasty murderous people or do I allow him to destroy my life so that this is the last thing the last the last creation that I that I make now the topic specifically is about the creation of companies and how how do you go about creating a company and I remember Paxton that a few weeks ago we talked about this what the foundational principles should be in the creation of a company. Uh -huh. And, and I, I'm, I may be, I'm, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth a little bit, but uh, it was, do you, should the sole purpose of a company be to uh, contribute to the community uh -huh. or should it be for making money? Uh -huh. and, and maybe take a minute to kind of sum that up in, in, in the way that you kind of said it a, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I did not say sole purpose. Um, I did say the main focus. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a big. I'm difference. not under some delusion that uh, a company can just be created and just uh, you know say I'm going to make the world a better place and that's it, and and uh, not care about or have to generate revenue to keep going. That's obviously important for a successful company. Uh, my main point is if you have as your central guiding light. Uh, creating revenue that will tempt you and lead you down paths that will not necessarily be for the benefit of those you serve, your market, your customers. If, however, you uh, have as your guiding light uh, serving those customers, helping uh, uh, them achieve whatever it is they want to achieve, and that's like your main focus, uh, with revenue being something that you care about but aren't necessarily 100% focused on, uh, revenue will follow. Yeah. So I, I've actually, I've, this may surprise you. I've thought about this a lot since we first talked about this. And I've actually talked to a lot of different people trying to get different perspectives. And uh, because this is a really interesting question about building a company. And I imagine you talk to a hundred different CEOs and you'd get a hundred different thoughts on, sure. on, on what that looks like. But um, when I thought about the, the analogy of Frankenstein, I think, uh, and, and this goes back to even Mark Zuckerberg, his talk 
when he came and spoke at the Silicon Slopes Tech Summit, uh, he kept talking about the ideas that he had for his company. I want Facebook to do this. I want Facebook to do this. And one of them was, I want Facebook to be a community. I want Facebook to to be a place where people feel comfortable uh, knowing that it's that they have the, their freedom of speech, mm-hmm. right? Like he has all these ideas for the way he wanted Facebook. And I kept thinking to myself, you like, how much control do you have at Facebook to take it in the direction that you feel that your morals should take it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it comes back to this question of um, it's, it's probably, it probably differs in the different stages you're at with your company. When, when, when Mark Zuckerberg first started Facebook, I, I mean, he's a, de- he's a developer. He probably had a hundred percent different ideas of what to do with the company and the direction to go than it's going now. In fact, I was just talking to someone today and, and he mentioned a, an interview from a few years ago where Mark Zuckerberg talked about wanting the platform to be kind of a back-end thing that other, uh, all other platforms in the world are built on top of and mm-hmm. not necessarily a content creation or sharing site. Right. And, uh, and, that's, and that's not what it is. So coming back to that original idea of should the company have a foundational, like their first priority should be to the community and their second should be to the uh, the revenue, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that changes depending on uh, where you're at. So you say you start a company tomorrow. Okay. Uh, your first priority is making sure that the company, as it grows, contributes to society. No. Okay. So no, I think you're 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 adding in things that I'm not okay, saying. Okay. So, so that's what I need. I, I need. I'm not I, saying every company should have philanthropy as their main focus. It's not uh, charity, and I'm trying to like no. It's I, I'm saying f- uh, find a need and fill it. Find a need in someone's life and fill that need. And that need doesn't have to be I'm depressed and I need someone to help me feel better. That can be it. But it could also be, you know, man, it sucks having to uh, use my car key. I really wish that I had a, uh, the ability to press a button and start my car. Great. That's a need. Fill it. So it doesn't have to be this altruistic thing. But I'm saying if you're so, – so that should be where you start is finding a need in the market and filling that need. Not saying, man, I just want to make a ton of money. How do I cash out? I see how, like who, who, who can I figure out how to get money from them? And then sometimes I think companies can be started successfully with that as the objective, and it's fine. But uh, uh, I do think it's important to say, okay, understand the market so well that you see needs that potentially they don't even see. And then your company is centered around filling those needs and helping them uh, accomplish something. Okay. okay. And and my point in all of this, and I think it's a given, and I, I think really... I would have guessed that we're on the same page here. And my point of talking about businesses starting this way is I think marketing needs to also start that same way. The marketing, you need to, to do great marketing. You need to understand your audience, and your market so intimately that you know what ad, what page, what piece of content or whatever I can create, what will reach them the best, what will aid them in their search for solving whatever problem they have the best. And do that. Instead, too many marketers start off as their central premise is, I need to show ROAS. So where can I take $1 and turn it into two? 
And I'm saying that's a good thing to think about and measure and you need to do that. But that that is like going to work every day and, and your central focus is get food. I need to get food. I need food. Uh, and that's, that's in true. We need food like, and you go to work so you can have food. But when you go to work, you're not thinking, how do I get food out of this? You're thinking what you're thinking about something higher and, and the food takes care of itself. The food will come. You can't ignore that, but you, you ha- to focus on that would be so limiting and cause you to make so many short-sighted poor decisions that would ultimately result in less food for you. So I'm saying that as a focus is not where your focus should be. I'm not saying ignore it 100%, but there's a better thing to focus on that will result in the outcome of actually more revenue. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, uh, I feel like I understand what you're saying now. So um, I imagine that uh, there are points in a company's life where choices have to be made, right? Yeah. So originally we were talking about starting a company. And that's fine, right? A, a company, I, I'm, I'm actually aligned with that. A company should be founded on the principles of filling that need, right? There should be a need and it's not just tricking people into giving your money for some product that they may or may not need. Now there, there are, uh, uh, there are, I mean, that does raise some questions that like, what's the difference between a need and a want? And in that case, can it be both, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't need your 10th pair of shoes or you don't need uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that you don't need, sure, but that you want, and you're filling you're filling that that gap. Does that? I mean, I mean, how does that fall under the the principle that you're kind of talking through right now? Sure, I, I think it's complex. I mean, I think there there are things that like, I mean, luxury you, items. I guess is I, you know, like you could have the Honda Accord or you could have the the McLaren F1. Yeah. Uh, I, I think when I say find a need and fill it, uh, it's not the kind of need that's in the debate of want versus need. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say find a want and fill it is fine too. Um, I, I think there are, uh, I don't know, there are just there are ways that I mean, we could go out right now and probably come up with a, a handful of ways to make some money fast off of people that that is not going to improve their life and is not going to uh, help them achieve what they want to achieve with their life. I think to some capacity, uh, you know, I, years ago I took um, a film class and uh, one thing that stuck with me for forever, for some reason, I don't know why it stuck with me, but uh, the, the, the person teaching the class said, the difference between uh, an okay director and a great director or writer or whatever is the, the love that they have for their characters. Even if they're evil characters or they're bad people, if you have love for them and you really are trying to understand them, um, it produces better work. And I think the same is kind of true for, for business and for marketing. It's, it's not, it's not a, a fluffy kind of you have to love everybody kind of a thing, but just like really knowing who your market is. I mean, I've talked to some business people and they just know their market inside and out. They know how they think. They know what they want. And, and, and their mission is to help improve their lives to some capacity in some degree. Uh, and, and, you know, I would argue that like having a, a designer sneaker or something is improving their life. Um, but we can start a drop shipping company and sell some crappy sneakers that look like designer sneakers. And, and, and that sucks. Like that's crappy that we would, we would cash out. We would have a bunch of initial sales and long-term that wouldn't last. 
Uh, but if we say, you know, my focus here is to create an awesome sneaker that it, people love, that is comfortable, that, you know, it helps them feel cool because it's stylish or whatever. And yeah, I'm going to charge a premium because I need to charge a premium to, to produce what I'm producing here. Uh, but if the goal, I could also say, man, I just want to make a bunch of cash fast. What could I do? Uh, I'm going to get these crappy sneakers produced in China. They look good, but they don't last for more than a mm -hmm. week. Uh, let's do a bunch of sales. We'll run a bunch of ads. We know how to do retargeting. We can get into a bunch of, do some organic marketing and get a bunch of suckers to buy these things and then make make a couple hundred thousand, get out and do it again. And move on to the next thing. Right. And 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 I think not, there aren't. I mean, there are some, there, there, there are a lot, but in terms of percentage-wise, there aren't many businesses that are thinking that way. But I think there's a lot of marketing that is thinking that way. They're thinking, I don't really care about this person. I just want them to get on this page. We don't even think of them as people. We think of them as clicks. Like we don't realize and really think and internalize the fact that you get 100,000 clicks on something, that's 100,000 people seeing whatever content you put together. Did you put it together with the idea of 100,000 people are going to see this? And what do I want them to see and think and do after having seen this piece? I, I feel that this is coming off as a little too like fluffy or, <laughs> or hippie or, or whatever. But the point is just to understand that those are living, breathing human beings behind all those numbers and analytics. I mean, outside of the bots, obviously. But right. uh, I, I, I don't know. I think we're just missing out on some opportunity to be a lot more powerful in our marketing and creative uh, by truly understanding the gravity of and weight of what what it is we're doing as marketers. Yeah, I actually this is no, I, I love the fluffy. I love the fluffiness. It's uh, it's setting this up quite nicely. So coming coming back to Frankenstein's monster, I imagine there are instances where people feel that way, like like they they feel like they're filling a need and and they remember the people and are very thoughtful and thorough about their market and understand them. And then uh, outside influences start to penetrate the company, whether that's through going public or getting investors. And, and you start to be um, – ownership almost starts to shift. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and you start to kind of lose control of your own creation that originally was meant to be beautiful and helpful sure. and fill a, fill a need. I mean, I think I've never had this thought until you were just describing it, but I've always – not always. I, I, have been, I was thinking that um, – Frankenstein's monster is such a great um, illustration or, or uh, um, I don't know, just, yeah, illustration of uh, uh, government, um, you know, like socialism and, and that kind of stuff. I think the the intention is there and the desire and the beauty and potential beauty is there. But then in practice, many people get involved and it loses control and it goes the wrong direction. Um what, what Which do I think, think is kind of fascinating. It, it's very fascinating. Like as a business, I mean, if you were a business owner in that situation, and we like, let's take Mark Zuckerberg as an example, just because we, sure. we've been talking about him. He, uh, I imagine, he was very positive and and definitely thought that his company would go a different direction. But then you have instances where his creation is used to do very terrible things, whether it's uh -huh. uh, whether it's to manipulate an election or. Uh, hate speech or, or or whatever it is, uh, he himself I think is at the point where he has little uh, little control over the direction of the company. He's beholden to other people. What is his obligation as the CEO to try and right that ship? 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a difficult question, especially given that he has shareholders. And, um, you know, I mean, he's obligated to do what is in the best interest of shareholders, which limits him to some degree. Uh, I mean, you can make an argument that doing some things uh, that will cost uh, short-term profits for the long-term health of the company would be in the best interest of shareholders. Um, but I don't know, you know, uh, it's a hard thing. I mean, at this point to talk about it being Mark Zuckerberg's company is, is really not accurate because it's not his company anymore. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, it, it, it's a perfect analogy because he created it and then he lost control of it. It, 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 became its own thing almost as if it's like a living organism that went off and sure. and uh, and took its own course yeah i mean it's it's it isn't really it anymore like yeah. at some point mark zuckerberg's company died and in its place there's another company by the same name yeah uh, it, yeah it, so moz i think some something similar happened with rand fishkin where he creates this company and and a lot of people are going to know rand rand is is like a good dude like he is he, such a good guy he wants he wants so badly to do the right thing like you know that about him and, yeah. and uh you trust social him. justice and i mean i mean that's he he fights for the the little guys and he uh uh he's just a good dude and mm-hmm. uh he shared a story at i i i don't think it was a moscon i think it was a blog post actually uh he shared a story about how he kind of got lost control of his own company and mm-hmm. kind of got pushed out. The story is that uh, he wanted to run a very small experiment on the platform and change change an element on it, like a button, and going through the proper channels, he couldn't get it done, mm-hmm. right? The guy who created the company, the Wizard of Moz, could not get a little button change. Yeah. And eventually he just went straight to the engineer and asked him to do it like right then, and he got it done. And the results were like great. Seventeen percent right. growth in this one thing. Yeah, I do remember reading that. And mm-hmm. uh, and 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 he he falls into the same category where he created he created this business that he, I imagine he thought was and intended to be a very beautiful thing and to contribute to you know this so or that. I, I, and, I don't. I get the sense that the point you're making is you can create a company with the best intentions, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it's going to change anyway. Is that what you're not necessarily that it doesn't matter? I'm I'm trying. I guess I'm wondering like. What's Rand's obligation? What is what's uh, what's Mark's obligation? O- oftentimes, I mean, you know, Mark is still. In fact, there's a there's a quote from Frankenstein that I wanted to share that really kind of uh, I in, I enjoyed because Victor Frankenstein made the choice to abandon his creation. Uh-huh. This, this is this is a quote from Frankenstein's monster. He said, "A cursed creator." Why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? And uh, I'm just wondering if, and we talked about how, you talked about how Facebook died and became something else. Mm-hmm. At what point as a business owner are you like, I can't, I can't stay here. I created this, but I have to walk away because it's, it's not, this is not the company I created. This is not what I intended this is this is apart from any like I I don't even recognize this I think, anymore. I think we we are wrong in the assumption that it always goes bad. I think many times the original 
idea uh, that the founder had, number one, happens. And it plays out the way the founder pl- planned. I think other times uh, the, the way it, the founder planned it out didn't, doesn't happen, but it, it turns out better. So I, I don't think it's right to say as a foregone conclusion that every company is akin to Frankenstein's monster in that sense that it goes poorly. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not a founder, uh, but I've talked with a lot and I know a lot. And um, I get the sense that uh, at a certain point, a founder just knows when it's time to step away and it's not, it's not, it's not their thing anymore. Um, I, I would argue too that maybe, uh, you know, I don't think Moz has become that Frankenstein, you know, big giant evil corporation. Uh, I think largely the reason why Moz became what Moz is, is because of Rand's desire to serve and help those in the community be better with, with no, um, uh, uh, desire to, to draw, not desire, I should say, but like, uh, he, he just gave information away freely and, and he served freely. And, uh, I think a lot came back to him for that in the company. I think, I, I don't know this, but I, I bet if you were to ask Rand, I think he would maybe be a little bit more aggressive on the revenue side and, uh, uh, you know, what Moz gets out of those relationships and, and engagements. But I still think I would rather err on on that side of, of giving too much and serving too much than uh, than other companies that are just out there kind of looking to, to get a profit uh, without too much interest or care uh, for the market that they serve. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I actually... In, in listening to, I've, I'm, I've determined that I poorly communicated. I actually don't think that every company gets gets to that point. Mm. Um, in, in fact, it's probably it, – it, even even Facebook, if you ask Mark Zuckerberg, he probably wouldn't say that it's a giant monster. And, th- and that's, not, that's not really what, I, what, what I'm getting at. And, again, it's probably due to my poor communication skills. But um, – I, I guess what I'm getting at is is not, and, and maybe it's because I'm using a mon- the 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 word monster to <laughs> to uh, to kind of illustrate my point, but um, it doesn't have to have gotten uh, poor. It, I, I all I'm saying is it's just out of your control. out of your control. You lose control of the sure. thing you created, and then like wh- where are you at at that point? And, well, and, and, I think all the more reason to be, as a founder, hyper-focused on serving your market because whatever you do at the beginning is going to amplify. And it, it, it uh, you know, the, the, a company is very much an extension of a founder's personality and the things that they instill in the culture. Um, you know, I look at, at, at Chris and 97th Floor, and he was always focused on on the clients just having an awesome experience and getting awesome service from 97th floor and he never built a giant sales team uh to just kind of churn and burn through leads to to just get a bunch of cash uh and um that strategy for us has paid off i mean the 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 best source of leads for us is referrals from clients who are happy with the work that we've done uh and so to to turn around say well we need to uh, just grow by leaps and bounds. Therefore, I'm just going to buy a bunch of lists. I'm going to do a bunch of cold calls and I'm going to get them in the door, even if it's under the wrong pretense. And uh, they'll leave in, in six months, but who cares? I have their money now. Um, and, and because he did that, and, and that was kind of his philosophy and way of looking at things, I, I am similar. Um, and I obviously bring my own 
spin and take on things. And that, in that sense, it does change from Chris and he has less control to some degree, you know, over uh, the company as a whole. But his values and his way of doing things inspire my values and ways of doing things. So, uh, you know, I think if you teach your company that the most important thing here is revenue and uh, then then everyone's going to look at that with those goggles, that the most important thing here is revenue. And that's really what I'm here for is revenue. Uh, but, yeah, you teach your company that the most important thing is the customer. Revenue will come. But you don't need your employees focusing on that and you don't need to communicate that. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So with with all the preamble leading up to basically the topic of how marketing should be done, um, what uh, what are some examples of campaigns that have that you guys have done that uh, illustrate that principle? Yeah, uh, my favorite example of this is um, a company called eFile Cabinet. They do document management systems, and uh, basically. Uh, you know, they work with clients that deal with tons and tons of paperwork. So accountants, uh, people in HR, mortgage loan officers, and uh, with their software, you can basically scan any documents, physical documents you get, driver's licenses, uh, birth whatever you're dealing with. And and their software will use uh, OCR to uh, recognize all the text on the page, what all the text is. They will uh, kind of put it in the appropriate place and, and draw all the important information. Uh, they then uh, deal with uh, a lot of kind of smart um, automation so that any document goes to the right person at the right time for the right sign-off or approval. Uh, and then they will deal with all of the management of the documents. You know, like in HR, you're required to keep certain documents for a certain amount of time. And then after that time, you're required to destroy them. Their software will do all of that. So uh, we went in and one of the audiences we were focusing on were uh, accountants because tax is big for them. And uh, so initially we started off just with our own understanding of who accountants were. And in our head, you know, probably if I were to ask people on the team, they would have said, uh, you know, accountant is some, some guy in his 50s who's really boring and really stale. And that's just like who, you know, he likes really boring things because he's an accountant, you know, and just a stereotypical whatever, you, <laughs> yeah. think, you know. Um, and, and we started making some ebooks and we built out some marketing automation and, you know, with, with decent success, like it was, it was okay. Uh, but then, you know, we thought we need to take a step back here and really understand who their market is and what we can do to help their market. And we, we called their customers and we interviewed their customers. And we also sat in on a bunch of sales calls and kind of listened to what their market was saying. And the one thing that kept coming up over and over again is this idea that they just hate all the paperwork that they deal with and all the things that go along with all that paperwork. Uh, you know, like their crappy fax machine and their scanner and just everything that breaks and it just slows them down. Uh, so we thought it would be kind of a cool idea to give them a chance to take out all their anger on those things that they deal with. And uh, so uh, there was an, a, a conference coming up. It was a thousand accountants coming to Salt Lake. And uh, what we did is we worked with uh, another company who uh, has a rage cage or a rage room, and we built the world's first mobile rage cages, the very first one, uh, and we set it up in this conference. And basically, it was this little cage, this little room, uh, and it was full of fax machines and printers and scanners. Uh, we got the accountants suited up and let them go nuts on everything in the room for an, for a minute, a full sixty seconds, so they could just go wild. Uh, we also uh, set up a camera inside so that their uh, rage would be filmed 
Uh, before they went in, they signed a release where they gave us their name and email address and they got into our HubSpot. So now they were in our marketing automation. Uh, we then had somebody at the back end editing the video live uh, so that as soon as that video was done, when they were done, they would get an email within probably two or three minutes of their uh, of themselves in the rage room sent off to them that they could share on social media. So mm -hmm. that was expanding our reach. And then we also told them that all these videos were going to go up on a landing page and whoever got the most votes would win $1,000, which kind of incentivized them to go crazy. Um, and it, it was a hit. We also got tons of news coverage. Uh, we got ABC and Fox coming out, to, and they filmed some stuff. We got some newspapers coming out. So we got a lot of organic uh, reach that way. Uh, they closed a bunch of deals because of this. Uh, you know, they, they got a bunch of leads. This is probably their most successful conference ever in terms of leads generated and deals closed. Uh, but in my opinion, the best thing that this campaign did, they came to us for SEO. Uh, and, the, and this improved SEO. Like we yeah. got a lot of links and traffic because of this. Um, but in my opinion, the best thing that this did was it told a thousand accountants at this conference that we get you. We understand the crappy stuff that you have to deal with, with your fax machine and your printer. And we know you've been wanting to just destroy your printer. So we're giving you a shot to do that. And by telling them that we understand them, we know who they are. We know what their life is like. Just, just a little aspect. We don't know everything, right? But we know this little piece of it. We can communicate to them that if we know you on this level, just imagine what our product is like. We know you enough to market this well to you. Imagine how well designed our product is. We know you this well, so we designed a product that's going to fit right with what you want. And, and I think that's, that's how marketing works because the, the marketing is a preamble for your product. And so if your marketing is tone deaf, what must they think about your product? If you don't know them well enough to market to them in a way that's going to appeal to them and help them, how would, how, how would they expect that your product would do the same? Now, I don't think that people are sitting there doing that mental analysis, but I think to some degree on a subconscious level, they are doing that analysis. Uh, you know, I, I feel this way about Apple. Like, I, you know, Apple, they've never said it overtly, but I just feel like they get me. Like, I like their products and it works with what I do. And I feel like they put a lot of thought into me. And, and their marketing is the same way. It appeals to me. And uh, you look at companies like Disney. It, you know, if Disney was so focused, number one, on profit and revenue, they would make a lot different decisions. And I think sometimes they have in the name of revenue. But um, think about the, the feeling you have of taking your, your daughter on the uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty ride or, or the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland, you know. That, that, those, those experiences and feelings would not be created in the pursuit of revenue. Those are created in the pursuit of helping people have an experience and feel something. And the revenue comes because that's what we want. We want that. I'm happily happy to pay them the price of admission to have this experience. And I think part of the difficulty is when this dichotomy between focus on revenue or focus on the experience is contained within one person as it is with a founder. But you have people at Disney who are over revenue and they're thinking about that. And that's all they think about mm -hmm. or care about. And similarly, you have other people at Disney who couldn't care less about revenue. What they care about is just having a great experience or making a great movie or doing something awesome for somebody, right? Uh, the, 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 there are people, like we had, we had uh, some, someone from Disney come in to talk to Nice and Floor about creating a great customer experience. And um, those people don't care at all about the revenue of, of, of Disney. Their job in no way is to get revenue to go up. Their job is 100% to get people to have a great experience. And so 
the size of Disney allows for them to have minds focused 100% on one or the other. Where, where it gets tricky is, is when you're a founder kind of doing your thing or you're a one-man marketing shop or even just a three- or four-man marketing shop. Um, still, I think if you're forced to decide between the two as a number one focused, it should be number one focus should be on, on the customer and their experience. Uh, don't forget about revenue. That would be unwise. Like, uh, you know, there are companies like Nickelodeon is a great example hmm. of this. Tons and tons of focus on the experience on on the kids and the shows and they ran themselves almost into bankruptcy because they weren't thinking about revenue models and stream and and, uh, and the cost associated with that so you can't forget that I'm not saying you can't forget that but I think I would rather be Nickelodeon and then figure out dang what do I got to do to get more revenue out of this than be I, I don't know some other cash grab company that's saying oh man I really don't care about these people yeah 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 so th- uh, this this reminds me of Will Reynolds' MozCon talk, RCS. Do you remember that? Uh, I don't. Real company stuff. Uh huh. So I think this goes back. Actually, actually, I've got it up here. 2012. As you were talking, I was like, this is pretty much what he was talking about. Where one example he shared was like, um, volunteer in your community, not not because, and he used. Um, the Red Cross's example, you know, he's like, we, we do a Red Cross drive at our office. Uh, and it's not necessarily just to, you know, get links or get press or whatever. Although those come, we, we do it because blood is needed and, you know, we want to, we want to contribute to, to the community. I mean, he had, I mean, it's 133 slides. That's all he talks about is exactly that, where if you're and I'm trying to find a quote here, but he says, you cannot... He says R- RCS, which is real company stuff, uh, gets results. Non RCS does or can't. It can't. Uh, and and something you you mentioned a little bit early on was uh, originally before the Rage Cage, you guys were doing the normal stuff, the eBooks and and uh-huh. and I don't know it all. Probably some webinars and things like that. And you said, yeah, they they got some results and and that's fine. And but you take it a step further, and uh, probably the thing I like the most about that is that this company, what was it called? E- E-file, cabinet. E-File Cabinet. E-File Cabinet hires a digital marketing agency to do digital marketing stuff online and they take it offline and the offline stuff is what produces the online stuff. So I was actually wondering what, did that campaign change the way that they do their shows moving forward? Like, do they just take the rage cage everywhere they go? Yeah, so the difficult part with the Rage Cage is it is built and owned by a company that we collaborated with. So they built it for this, but yeah. then the condition was, we'll build this for you, but we get to keep it. Oh, they get uh, to keep it. Yeah, so it's also extremely difficult to transport because it's just very heavy yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and build. Uh, but we're working on, on coming up with some ideas to kind of do the same thing, but nationwide yeah. at conferences all over. So it is having an effect. We're not able to do exactly the same thing. Uh, just for way like a ton of um, uh, just reality things that we have to deal yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes it, sense. But but yes, it is impacting. But I do wonder. I, I imagine that the the leadership at E File Cabinet that had to have been like a major topic in their leadership. Oh, sure. meetings I mean, where yeah, just the, like, How does this transform the way we do business? Sure. I mean, the the CEO was there at the Rage Cage, and he was talking to clients, and I I. Uh, 
their CEO is an awesome guy. Like uh, that, that company is a company that cares not just, I mean, they care about their market and they care about their employees a, a tremendous amount. Um, that, that is a, I really like that company. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think it plays well into kind of how they think and, and, uh, what, what they're, what they're doing with both their product and their marketing. 100%. So I want to, I want to transition a little bit and we didn't talk about this beforehand, but, uh, in the last little bit here, I want to present you with some ethical dilemmas. Oh, fun. I love these. Uh, can I just say it depends and we can end? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go through an ethical dilemma and I want to know how you would act if you were put into that situation. All right. Okay. Okay. So um, let's let's start out with something a little easier. Okay. Okay. So you're about you're about to sign a new deal, new client. Okay. It's worth fifty thousand dollars a month. Okay. Your boss, so Chris, he comes to you and he says, uh, <laughs> Chris actually probably isn't a good example. Wayne. Let's say Wayne. Okay. Wayne comes to you and he says, Listen, Paxton, I'm under a lot of pressure to get sales this month. <clears throat> It's the end of the month. This deal isn't going to get signed until next month. Uh, it hasn't been signed yet, but you're pretty confident that within the next week, like the first week of the next month, it's going to get signed. Okay. He asks you to include the revenue for the contract in this quarter's numbers or this month's numbers. Uh-huh. What do you do? Uh... It's a funny question. I mean, like, does it matter? <laughs> like, who cares where the revenue is? Well, see that. Yeah. So, in if your you situation, have, that, if you uh, have shareholders and that kind of, yeah, then, yeah. then no, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, you have to be on like, uh, and, but if it's just, if it's just Chris and Wayne, and they all know what's up, then. Yeah, who cares? And, and, it's just yeah, a, that's a good point. It's just an Excel For file. Floor, it's probably not. Doesn't yeah, exactly. matter. It's, it it like, doesn't matter. I, I think if there are, yeah, if there are other people, and you're actually misleading people, then no, absolutely, yeah, it yeah, should yeah. not so, be in that. So quarter. that question, I, I think the re- the reason why it's a dilemma is: Do I listen to my boss, who I'm trained my whole life to obey uh-huh. and listen to, or do I, uh, do I, you know, am I just honest? Right, because I mean that's really what it comes down to. I, yeah, I, I mean, it, in in presented that way, I think the answer is uh, if your boss is asking you to do something that is uh, you you know is is stupid, like a poor decision for the company. The answer is to, in my opinion, uh, do what your your boss is asking you to do, but voice your uh, a disagreement about. Like you say, no, I I do not feel comfortable doing that. Well, uh, and then I was going to say. However, if your boss is asking you to do something that's dishonest, you yeah. should never do that. Yeah. Never do that thing, whatever it is. So would but you- But if it's just, if it's if it's not dishonest, but it's just, you think it's a bad move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I think you should voice what you're saying, but at the end of the day, your boss has to answer for whatever it is you're doing, so you should do it. So in this case, would you f- put this under dishonest or would you put this under stupid? I mean, uh, it could be both, but- I think this would be dishonest. I mean, if we're in this scenario where yeah, there's yeah. like other people reading our financial, like this would be dishonest. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. would you would not. I would do not that. do that. Okay. Okay. So this one, this this other one is interesting to me. Say say you are in the manufacturing business, and the thing that you're manufacturing and selling, your costs are cut in half. So uh-huh. your cost to create the product it gets cut in half. Okay. You don't. First of all, let me ask you this. First of all, do you change your prices? 
uh, I would say immediately no. Uh, I would be looking at the market. Like it depends on why my prices are cut in right. half. If it's because I have developed some kind of system that's proprietary to me that allows me to cut my costs in that, half. That guarantees that the, the prices will stay low. I'm probably not going to cut my costs in half um, or my prices in half. Uh, depending on where the market's at, if if I'm being beat out on price, then I would cut prices to be more competitive. But I, I believe in in pricing off of uh, value more than cost uh, for for most things. Um, so so if the reason my costs are cut in half is because suddenly suppliers of whatever it is I'm doing cut their costs, well, all my competitors I know cut their costs in half too. So I would be watching them very closely. Um, but as far as I think what you're getting at here is, are you morally, uh, is there some kind of moral obligation to pass savings on to customers or d- should you price based off of what it costs you? And I think the answer is no. Yeah. I, I, I like that. It, 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 only if the price, only if you created the price because of your costs, but if you created it because of the value, then your costs have absolutely nothing to do right. with with the the price that you put on your own product. So the the second half of this is if somebody if one of your customers finds out that your prices have been cut in half, and they come to you and they say, "Hey, I know your prices have been cut in half. I want a discount. What do you do?" There's so much like weird nuance here. <laughs> if I'm like. Uh, <laughs> If I'm like it Walmart depends. or not even Walmart, like as a manufacturer, right? So if I'm, uh, oh, I don't know. If I'm some manufacturer and I sell this this five dollar product to consumers, and I get some guy from Nebraska saying, "Hey, I figured you guys cut your costs, so I want a discount," I'd be like, uh, "No." I, like I'd be like, "Why am I even talking to you?" But if it's like I have this big government contract and I really just work with government agencies and I sell three of my widgets a year. Uh, yeah, I'd probably have a discussion with them. Yeah. You know, I only have three customers. I got to yeah, make yeah. keep them happy. So really, just I mean, it, <laughs> it depends, depends on so many things. Well, no, I, I the 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 questions that depend on things, and you can walk through each individual option. Those are the, not only the best questions, but the best answers. So I appreciate that. And that was kind of me patting myself on the back a little bit too. <laughs> Good questions. Uh, okay, I have two more, and okay. these, these are quick, kind of dumber ones. So um, say that. Your you have a best friend who is who works for a company that is a customer of yours. Okay. Okay. You go out to lunch and talk about personal things. Do you put it on your business card? Uh, Do you pay for lunch? So wait. Okay. So best friend works. So your best friend is a customer. Is a customer. Is a customer of yours. Uh huh. You go out to lunch. Company stuff, business stuff doesn't come up. You're just talking about, you know, the wedding you went to last weekend you or never, whatever. You never talk about business. And you never or... talk about business. You do put that on the company card. Uh, uh, I think probably not. Probably not. It, and that's just because. I mean, you're, I mean, legally, you're not supposed to. Because it's not a company expense. It's not a company expense. Yeah. Okay. Last one. <laughs> you're in the bathroom. All right. You overhear, <laughs> you overhear uh, Chris talking to someone about Wayne getting fired. Uh-huh. 
in the next two weeks. In two weeks from now. Okay. Do you go talk to Wayne? No. Why? Uh, why would I? He's your buddy. Yeah. Does it change um, if 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 it's not if it's if it's outside of your chain of command and it's like a friend of yours within the company? Uh huh. I, I mean, do the circumstances change? I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, you know, like, I, uh, I, I get why you wouldn't say it for it Wayne. It does change. It but does. if it's anyone, is there any circumstance within the company, and maybe not your company, but any situation that you're in where I'm, you go like, talk? I'm to trying him. to think. If I work at some giant corporation, yeah. And I've got a buddy over in accounting, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I overhear something, and I don't know anybody, and you know, I, I would probably tell my buddy. Yeah, I would definitely uh, tell I, my yeah. buddy. And and uh, but uh, and I would not feel bad about it. Yeah, I think that'd be. I think that's totally fine. I would give him a heads up. Uh, I, where the re, the only reason I'm not like just absolutely certain that I would say something is because, um, like I care. The smaller a company is, the more it matters and the more risk there is when stuff like this uh, uh, gets out, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm I'm kind of aware and sensitive of that kind of stuff, and I think that matters. Um, but yeah, and it also depends on where I am. If I'm low-level person at some big company that doesn't really care about me and I'm not going anywhere with this company, like I don't care. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not beholden to this company at yeah, all. Yeah, totally. But if I'm... In the C-suite of this, you know, like, yeah, I'll probably have some discretion. And uh... Yeah, you're probably right. Let me tell you a true story, and then we'll, we'll finish up here. This happened while I was at Vivint. And uh, so Cole Reben, he used to be on my team. Yeah. And Cole is one of my best friends. I love him to death. And he was, he was a good friend. He, like, I was his boss, but we were still, like, really good friends. Yeah. So um, this question came up, right? Because I, I was trying to get him more money. And, uh, and so I was, I was playing the role of boss and friend, which is not a good thing to do. No, okay. Because no. I was trained, I was talking to him as a friend on how to go about getting more money. Right. And, uh, uh, and I had information as his boss that I should not have given him, but that I gave him mm-hmm. and you know what he did with it? He went and told HR that I <laughs> told him the information he should not have had. He like told on you? Well, it, no, no, no. It wasn't like he said, you guys, Jacob told me this. You should probably discipline him. He so like took he, the information. It's like he wasn't being smart about it. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't that yeah. he went like, hey guys, I know something I shouldn't know. That's exactly right. He was like, he let it slip that he knew something well, he shouldn't know. he let it know. slip. I don't think it was an accident. I think he said, hey, uh, I know that. You mm. have this much money for me. I don't remember the exact mm. circumstances, yeah. but I gave him information. He just wasn't being smooth about it, right? And yeah. and it came out, and they're like, "How did you? How do you know? How do you know this stuff?" <laughs> so I, so I got pulled in, and I got and I got yeah. I got uh, kind of reprimanded for um, giving him information that he shouldn't have had, and I, and I did learn a lesson where it's like, yeah, I represented the company in that situation. I wasn't in the C suite, but I still should have. I should have acted differently and not given him the information that I did, even though he was my yeah really good friend. And I, I think we could talk about this a, uh, another time, but it's fascinating to me when uh, some people feel this separation between myself and the company. Yeah, and and the fact is, a company is just a group of individuals, so they are the company. Yeah, we always are inclined to personify a company and sure. make it its own its own thing. Which honestly, 
I'm okay with. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I think where sometimes I find I find funny things happen where someone says, um, like someone in leadership says, I think 90th floor should provide training on this. And sometimes, some this is like way. <laughs> there's no story here. I'm just making something up. But it's just like, great. We'll provide training on that. Then you're you're you are 97th floor. Yeah. Like, let's do it. Go ahead for it. You know, like you own it. Like this is us. There's nothing more. And you're like, I don't know if you think there's some other office somewhere, but like this is it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're it. Make well, it happen. Yeah. You know? it, I mean, it's I I I, I kind of get that. There. I mean. 97th floor has a bank account that's a 97th floor bank account. Mm. So if someone comes and says, I think we should have training on this, to me it's like, hey, I think we should use some of 97th floor's sure, money sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. to and pay for yeah, this yeah. training. And that, that wasn't a great example. But, yeah. you know, like, uh, anyway. No, I get what you're saying where, uh, in fact, this is part of my interview process when I'm interviewing people, I, I think, and, and yeah, I'll go through this real quickly. If When I'm interviewing someone, one of my, I, I have a two-part question. The first question is, why did you leave the company or why are you leaving the company you're currently at? Mm-hmm. And and they give they give, you know, some reasons. And usually I'll have a follow-up where it's like, give me like two or three things that you just don't like about that company. And I'm kind of setting them up a little bit. Uh because my follow-up question after the answer, What'd it doesn't do matter. I say, I say, yeah, what what did you do about those two or three things to change it? Yeah. Okay, that you're right. I like this because it's getting at what I'm more trying to say, right. which is the company is a group of individuals and we are we all have the power to affect it and what's happening. And I do think you get into some danger areas when your own employees don't feel like they are a part of what is happening here. Yeah, it's about empowerment. If they don't feel empowered to make the changes that they think will make the company better, there's then the company should provide some training on that. I think that's part of it. But I also think to some degree they need to feel like the success of the company is attached to their success. Yeah. And I think in that case of Vivint, you're like, what do I care? If Cole makes more money, it's not going to affect me in any way. Well, uh, there's that. But I also think he was underpaid and he he should have been getting more money. Sure. So, yeah, I was kind of – I was playing both sides, which, I don't know, in some ways I kind of feel like, yeah, like – I'm Cole's advocate. Even as his boss, I should advocate for him. Yeah. But in that case, I, I probably crossed. I definitely crossed one. <laughs> I, I definitely did. Okay. We're out of time. Yep. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a positive review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you're listening on. Feel free to reach out. You can reach us at inbound at belowthefold.io. And until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. Peace. Yeah, Frankenstein. Or stop. I think it's I think it's a record button according to this machine. It says press record button.